Well, I live in the city. I like living in the city. Very happy to live in the city of Rochester. And um, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to live. But I didn't always live in the city. I actually grew up in the country, in southern Maine. A very rural little plot of land, three acres of land I grew up on. And one of the ways, one of the many ways that life is different in the city is that um, in the city, we indicate the boundaries of our property with fences. We have a fence around our yard. Actually, we share a yard with our neighbors who are artisan people, and, and we have a fence around the big yard together, which is kind of cool. But we have fences, which growing up in the rural town of Buxton, Maine, nobody had fences around their house. There was no point because you were just all spread out. So the way that boundaries were marked where I grew up was I would see them when I trooped out into the woods to do whatever I was doing out there, you know, knocking down trees or killing birds or whatever. Um, no, I never did that. Uh, it's not funny to talk about that, actually. But um, What I would find out there, I'm so sorry, I really am. See, this, some people preach from a manuscript and they don't run into this kind of problem. Uh, I just can't do it. You take the good with the bad. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, yes, I was out in the woods. No fences out there. I would walk out, and the end of our three-acre plot, there would be a little stake in the ground, a spike, an iron spike. And it was all rusty, and you, you really would miss it and trip on it and hurt yourself if it didn't have this really fancy, like, 14-cent piece of pink ribbon tied around it. And that's, there was one of those at every corner of our plot of land. And that's how our boundaries were marked. And I got to thinking about that this week as, we, as I was preparing this, this talk um, about how boundaries are defined. And uh, we put up fences in the city, not only because the plots of land tend to be smaller, but also because we, we are more preoccupied with safety, perhaps, um, and with clarity. We want it to be very clear to our neighbors where their property ends and ours begins, don't we? And we want privacy. We want what goes on in our yard to stay in our yard. It's our own little Vegas. Right? Now, I will say, when we put up our fences, we made a conscious decision to use four-foot fencing instead of six-foot fencing um, so that we could actually talk to people across the fence uh, once in a while. Um, but I certainly resonate and understand wh the, the, the reasons why people choose taller fences sometimes in the city, because you want that safety and that privacy. And those little spikes in the ground, which we had in rural Maine, just wouldn't do the trick. Wouldn't give you safety, wouldn't give you clarity about your boundaries um, until you were right on top of it, and it certainly wouldn't give you any privacy. So I'd like you to just let that percolate a little bit in your minds as we go on here. We're in the second week now of this new series called My Faith Won't Fit on a Bumper Sticker. Uh, which is uh, going to be a really fun series. It already has been. I'm looking forward to this happening. And um, I would highly encourage you, this time of year is a great opportunity already, just because of the nature of the rhythms of life, for you to invite friends to come to church um, with you. And this is a great time to do that. This series is a great series to do that because I, my hope is, my intention is, that these sermons during this series will uh, paint a picture of our particular community of faith that, that might be a little bit interesting your friends, to say the least. I won't promise that they'll like it or that they will, uh, they're guaranteed to stick around. That would be silly. But it will be interesting, at least. And so um, 
If you would like to uh, have your friends be inspired to ask the right questions uh, about church, this might be a good chance to, to invite them. Um, but last week we talked about bumper sticker faith and how our faith really is too big to fit on a 3 by 10 inch sticker and that we wouldn't want to do that anyway because it's not about slogans and so forth. And the theme verse of this series talks about the incredible size of God's love. It's from Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. It says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we're going to come back to that verse each week, and that's going to be our, our foundation for each topic. Today I want to tell you about a little game you can play. You can try this, this game at home, and what you have to do is you have to go to a church website, any church website, and you want to find the link that says, What We Believe. I promise you it will be very easy to find. And when you click on that link, what you'll find, I can guarantee you, is a list. In many cases, it will be a very long list. The list will have a series of broad topics, and under each one will be bullet points, dot, dot, dot. And you can find out in great detail what churches believe and don't believe about any number of topics, the Bible, the nature of sin, how we're redeemed, what creation was and how long ago it happened, um, and so forth. <clears throat> but I will say that this game doesn't actually work with our church website. And that's, that's by design. That's intentional. You will not find on our site a, a link that says what we believe, um, because we don't believe anything, right? <laughs> no, of course not. There are lots of things that we believe. And uh, we would probably read some of those lists and nod our heads. But we didn't put one on our website, and in the next 20 minutes or so, I want to tell you why that I think we ought to have a bulletproof faith. That is a faith that is free from bulleted lists. A faith that, in fact, won't fit on a list. Now, I do want to be very careful here because I, I, I don't want this sermon to sound like, oh, we're so cool and all those other churches are so lame. Um, I have zero interest in criticizing what other churches do and uh, in saying that what we, always, what we do is always superior and the reason that you're all in this room is because you're so much more intentional, uh, intelligent and, and better looking than the people at the churches down the road or in the next town over or in the Bible Belt or whatever it might be. In fact, I have negative interest in, in doing that. So if at any point you, you think I'm creeping into that, know that that's not really where I'm trying to take you, and it's, it's probably my mistake, but that is not the intention for today. Um, what I do want to tell you is why that we have chosen to do things the way that we have chosen to do them, and why we have, in some cases, chosen not to do certain things, in this case, to publish what's called a statement of faith. Um, and the statement of faith is what that's called, those little those links that say what we believe. And the big, broad reason that we've never published a statement of faith as I said before, it's not because we don't believe anything. We have very firmly held, important beliefs. But what we've found and what we believe is that those statements tend to be more divisive than helpful. They are the church equivalent of the bouncer with the clipboard. Telling people who might visit that site in preparation for visiting that church, 
I'm sorry, but you are not on the list. They are fences, plain and simple. Those statements of faith tend to be fences. They, they provide the church with a certain degree of safety from discomfort, if not harm. They define the boundaries very particularly so that you can see them a long way off. You know before you get there whether or not that's your property or not. And I think that those statements of faith come from a tendency to want to create those boundaries, that, that, that artificial safety, more so than to create a life together, which is really what having a plot of land, so to speak, is all about, isn't it? Building a life together. You know, the funny thing is we have these little signs out there that says, please use a lid, helps prevent spills. It's got such a little hole, if you miss it, it causes a spill. Well, all right. Um, so what I'd like to do is give you three reasons why, why we don't do these statement of faith things. Uh, and I'm going to give them to you in order from the least important to the most important, okay? So um, don't nod off because you'll miss the, the most important stuff. The first reason is that they're unoriginal. Second reason is that they are unnecessary. And the third reason is that they are unbiblical. So let's take them from, from one to the next. They're unoriginal. First of all, they, they all say the same thing. I don't know if any of you have ever done the church shopping thing and gone around to these websites and clicked these links. But they all say the same thing. Not to say that they all agree with each other, but when they do agree, they use the exact same words to describe it. Right. We believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, etc., we believe that all of sin are in need of, etc. We believe that baptism is for adults, or it's not for just for adults, or whatever it is. They use the same boilerplate language all the time. Well, big deal, right? I mean, who cares if they're unoriginal? And yes, in a very broad sense, I agree. Who cares if they're original? Except that if something is so important that you want to spell it out in great detail on your website under something that says what we believe, it seems to me that you ought to hold it a little bit more deeply and personally than is required to just do command C, command V. Right. Or if you're a Cretan, control C, <laughs> control V. <laughs> ah, a little Mac PC joke, that'll wake him up. <laughs> But the point is, these statements are terribly unoriginal, and I, it makes me wonder if anybody in the church actually cares that they're there. I mean, as, as it concerns their personal faith and their existence as a follower of Jesus Christ, it makes me think they just want the fence. The second reason is that they're unnecessary, and I think they're unnecessary for two reasons. The first reason is that a lot of what goes in those lists is extraneous and well outside the teachings, the core teachings of the Christian faith which is not the same thing as saying is that, that they're unimportant. But I'm saying that they are much less important than the core. And so making those lists, in my opinion, for the type of community that we would like to build together, that's unnecessary. The second reason it's unnecessary is that there are already long-standing, well-established statements of faith in place 
that were forged by the church, capital C, meaning everybody, way, way, way long time ago, like before the Eisenhower administration even. For us, as you, you learned, if maybe you didn't already know it earlier, the Apostles' Creed is a very important statement. There are other creeds that we sometimes say together. The Nicene Creed would be the, probably the most common one other than the Apostles' Creed. And these creeds, these statements of faith, if you will, are both much more broad and much more broadly agreed upon than the ones that you tend to find on denominational or church websites. And they make up the core beliefs and teachings of the Christian faith. In other words, we may disagree about whether baptism is appropriate for an infant, and we will still agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? And you tell me which one is, is more important. That's a rhetorical question. The risk is that those bullet points on the list, they, 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 they eventually start to become more important than the core. So if you have this circle that represents all the teachings of Christianity and the, the core of it is the most important, crucial stuff, and the other stuff is around the edge, the things around the edge, because they're on the boundaries and because we set them up as defining who we are, tend to take pride of place over the core teachings that we could all agree on. And I hate that. So we've just decided not to, not to do it. So they're unoriginal. Who cares? They're unnecessary. Well, you agree or disagree. The third one is that they're unbiblical. And at this point, all of us who consider ourselves people of the book, so to speak, uh, ought to be concerned with this, um, this metric, if you will. Now, let me say a word about, let me say a few words about the word unbiblical, which is not a word that I tend to use a lot because I think it gets thrown around and abused. Um, for example, it's very common to, to talk about um, what biblical marriage might be. And you, you have a marriage counseling experience in the church and you want to have a biblical marriage, right? Well, let's take a look at what marriages happened in the Bible. Can you find one that you think we ought to emulate? <laughs> the one with the wine. <laughs> that is a deep cut, my friend. I, I appreciate that. Some pe you're going to send some people to Google later, I think. <laughs> Bible, marriage, wine. <gasps> um, <laughs> um, yes, but... Do you want to be more like Adam and Eve, who brought on the fall of mankind? Or do you want to, you want to be more like Abraham and Sarah, who uh, lied their way through trying to fulfill God's promise and tried to convince the Pharaoh that they were a brother and sister so that Pharaoh could... Do you want to be more like uh, the, the, that couple in the New Testament who sold property and lied about it and didn't share their wealth with the church and so uh, dropped dead on the spot, one after the other? Which, which biblical marriage do you want to emulate? <laughs> right? And so, yes, obviously there are themes in the Bible that speak to marriage that you want to incorporate into your life together. But that's not what people tend to mean when they say, you have to have a biblical marriage. And so I, I don't like the term unbiblical for those reasons. But in this case, I'm going to use it reluctantly because I think it actually does paint, uh, the Bible actually does paint a very clear picture of what Christian community is and should be 
And that picture is in total opposition to what tends to result from churches publishing very detailed statements of faith. That was a long sentence with like semicolons and stuff. Do you want to say it again? I think the Bible actually does paint a very clear picture of what Christ Christian community is and should be. And that picture is in direct opposition to what tends to happen and result from very specific statements of faith. That's why I say that, that those statements of faith uh, are not only unoriginal and unnecessary, but sometimes they're unbiblical. And let me explain to you what I mean. The, the, the Bible is our source of authority, and so we're going to spend more time on this one certainly than the other two. I want to read you a handful of Bible passages, and I hope that after hearing these you'll agree that, that this, this picture is um, pretty amazing and, and consistent. And rather than put the page numbers on all of these, I'm just going to kind of fly through them a little bit, and then we'll, we'll land on one at the end uh, that we can look at together. But you don't need to, to follow along in your Bibles on all these unless you are really quick. The first one is from John 17. This is a prayer that Jesus is praying um, just before his arrest and crucifixion. He's praying for what will happen to his disciples after he uh, leaves the earth. And he goes on and on, and, and, and verse 23 of chapter 17 says, I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So it was Jesus' prayer that his disciples be one, that they be in unity. Not just for the, the kumbaya aspect of it, but because that is how the rest of the world will see the truth of who Jesus is in unity. Next one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, giving them instructions on how they ought to live together and express their faith together. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. And he goes on to say, for it's been reported to me that there have been quarrels among you. He's trying to fix this problem. Next one is from the book of Galatians, another one of Paul's letters. Chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that the nature of our faith is that it, it removes these dividing walls. And these particular dividing walls that he's listing out there, you know, the, the walls between Jews and Greeks, the walls between slaves and free people, the walls between men and women, those are significant, significant walls in that day. Some of them still exist to an extent in our culture, but nowhere near to the extent that they did then. And Paul is saying that in Christ, none of those things, none of those walls even exist anymore. You are all one. You could also look uh, at the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, 
14, which says basically the same thing to another church, the one in Ephesus. For he is our peace. In his flesh, in his body, he has made both groups, in this case he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. There ought to be peace among people. Christ is the source of that peace, and the church is the expression of that peace and its location. A couple more. Philippians. Here's another letter. Chapter 2. Read you the first three verses. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, Paul says to the church. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. That's way too hard, so let's jump on to the next one. <laughs> Colossians 3, 14. Paul's talking about all the different things that it means to be in Christian community with each other, and it culminates with this. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The highest calling of our faith together is the love that, we, that, we, that unites us. Love unites. I could have made this sermon two words today. Love unites. You could have gone home and had an early dinner and watched the football game. I could put that on a bumper sticker. Oh. That is exactly what I was going for. Thank you. These are just six little passages from the Bible. There's so many more. So many more. I'm going to dwell on one of them a little bit more closely as we finish up here today. And in this case, uh, if you'd like to follow along, um, it's from Ephesians 4. I'm going to read the first six verses of that chapter. And if you're using a red Bible under your chair or in the seat pockets on page 951, feel free to follow along. If you don't own a Bible and you would like to own a Bible, please take one of these with you. We have a lot more. And uh, as I always say, it turns out they keep printing them. So um, they are our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of these home. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 5 together. I'll read this to you first. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now those of you who have been around here a while and heard me teach from the Bible for a while might have had your ears perk up when I started to read this passage. And why did your ears perk up? There's a therefore. And what is our rule when we see a therefore? We ask the question, what? Let's say it all together. What is the therefore, therefore? Oh, you guys are great. I love it. 
So when you see a therefore, it, you can't just go on. You have to go back. Otherwise, you are taking something out of context, and you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> so let's go back one section. Um, in these Bibles, the, the previous section break starts at verse 14. Now remember, those section breaks are editorial. They are not in the original manuscripts, and so you take them with a grain of salt. Sometimes they're actually harmful to the, the flow of the text. But in this case, it's, it's for what we're trying to do here, we're just trying to find out what the therefore is therefore. We can, we can go back there. That'll work. Here's what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all this, this sounds familiar, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's our theme verse for this series. There's one verse more that happens before the portion that we just read, before chapter 4 starts. You can see that this business of Christian unity, which is taught so widely in the New Testament, in this passage, it literally follows after the idea that God's love in Christ is bigger and wider and deeper and longer than we could ever hope to understand or grasp. Point A is God's love is enormous. Point A1 is live in unity. It flows right from one to the next. You caught the unity in that, that passage, didn't you? You know, the other thing that I, I teach people to do when they read the Bible is, um, you know, if you don't want to write in your Bible, maybe photocopy it, but sit down with a, a highlighter or a pencil or something and, and circle words that repeat. Right? If you're going to do that in this passage, what word would, would get lots of circles? One. It's like, I, I don't want to count them, but it's a lot of times. That unity is very clearly expressed in Ephesians 4, and it flows right out of the concept that is our, our central theme for this whole series. And that's why I think that a bulletproof faith, one that relies on unity and core beliefs rather than division and boundary beliefs, that's the type of faith that we ought to practice together. That's why we don't publish those statements of faith. It's not because we don't believe the things that would be in them. It's because we don't want to focus on them. We want to focus on being in unity with each other. And as I've said in other places and other times, unity means not that we always agree with each other, but that we stay together even when we disagree. Even though that means that Community is messy and confusing sometimes. Because it would be easier, safer, if you will, to put up those fences, to make sure that we all thought the same thing when we walked through the door, and if we ever changed our minds, we all did it together before we walked out the door. That would be less messy than what we have here, which is a disaster. A beautiful, holy, biblical, disaster of community. What I'd like to do before we come to communion together is, in light of all this stuff, to say that Apostles' Creed together again. That 
that earliest statement of faith, that one that really is the core of what we believe, that one that doesn't have bullets about every little tiny detail, but just says what it means to be a Christian and that, that we agree together. Um, now, interesting, it's the Nicene Creed, the, the one that comes a little later and has a little bit more detail, uses the word we, the Apostles' Creed uses I, um, at the risk of offending the, uh, the church tradition's purists. I'd like to change the word I to we in this one to, as, a, as an expression of our unity. Can we do that? Uh, let's say it together. We believe in God the Father Almighty. beautiful picture of uh, community together. Let's extend that picture to the table that Christ lays for us uh, and receive Holy Communion in remembrance of his sacrifice, of his death and his resurrection. Let's receive it as spiritual food, food for our souls, which are hungry. And let's do it today, most of all, perhaps, as an act of unity with each other, despite our differences, as an act of unity with uh, those Christians in the, in the less smart, less good-looking church down the street. You know, I'm kidding about that. As an act of unity with Christians uh, all throughout time who have developed these beliefs that are at the core of our faith uh, and with whom we share so much. This table, uh, it's especially important for you to know today, is open. It's not tied to membership in our church. It's not tied to membership in our denomination, which is our family of churches. It is tied only to our membership in the family of God, uh, of which we are a part through our shared faith in his son, Jesus. And if, uh, if that describes your family, um, even with the uh, annoying sister and the drunk uncle, if that describes your family, this table is for you, and I invite you to come to it. We love having friends of the family in the room, too, and it's perfectly okay for you to sit and think and pray if that would be more appropriate, too. Uh, we're going to sing a couple more songs together. We're going to continue to worship him. And I would invite you to respond to the word of the Holy Spirit in your heart in whatever way you hear him speaking to you. Amen. <laughs>